I said, what you know about it? It's the stool, baby. Got the knees in plus. Yeah, it's the stool, baby. And the room a lot. Hello, hello, you're listening to The Stew. My name is Jason Stewart, and this is my food podcast. Say hello, Andre. Hello. My brother's not here, because he's working again. R.I.P. In, in an actual restaurant. R.I.P. again. Um, we have one guest today, an old friend, and Los Angeles coffee... Empresario? Empresario. VIP. MVP. MVP. Yikai okay. Lim. Say Hello. Hello. <laughs> nice. Uh, he's he's the man behind Cognoscenti Coffee, which uh, is probably most known for the Proof Bakery location for me, which is a very popular destination um, in my neighborhood at Water Village in L.A. Um, every, Extremely popular. Everyone's favorite coffee shop and and pastry location. All you know, world world recognized, and then you also have a uh, standalone coffee location in Culver City, right? Indeed, yep. And then you started out doing pop up coffee shops, which is when I first met you. How long? When was? When did you do that? What well, year was that? That was uh, two two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Uh, Eagle himself. Rock, in uh, <laughs> inside a yogurt store called Blue Dot. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. R.I.P. Blue Dot. <laughs> so you started. Doing coffee in a pop-up, and you built like a custom portable espresso cart thing, right? Is that what you would call it? What would you call yeah, it? Yeah, like the, fir- the first iteration was just a stainless steel table, um, and then the, the second iteration was uh, like a ship, like a shipping container, mm-hmm. looking uh, cart, okay, so, you know, with wheels, a little more upscale. And then now you have one of those, or do you have multiple carts now, or just the one inside of Scoops in Chinatown? Yeah, we we, we just have that that one that's uh, the proper cart. Okay. And that 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 was, um, you know, more of a collaboration with uh, Jack, who's running it. So we kind okay. of partnered up on that. So that's that inside the Scoops ice cream shop in the Chinatown Plaza, where all the famous. Foodie destinations are Chago, Ramen Champ, Pok Pok. It's like the new little mini cool food destination in Chinatown. It really is. It's great. Mm. We're just there tonight yep. eating ramen at Ramen Champ. Trying Ramen Champ. Which is the ramen place from the Egg Slut people. Yep. What do you think, you guys? Good stuff. <laughs> are you the kind of person that will publicly talk about other restaurants and coffee shops? Usually not, <laughs> unless I have good things to say. I've I've found that nobody really does it. It's such a such an interesting thing, but I understand. You you everyone does it until they do it themselves. Absolutely, kind of I think yeah. I think as a business owner, you yeah. realize how difficult, how challenging, and uh-huh. yep. Much I I, I learned the same thing when I started doing music and DJing and everything like that. Everybody you talk to is very critical, except for the actual people doing it. 
and then there'll be everyone talks about behind closed doors. I was gonna say public versus private. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but like just regular customers or fans or whatever will very openly talk about it publicly online or whatever. Almost, and they, which is kind of annoying because they, they really don't have. You any. do want to hear the dirt, but it's also a bad look too. When you hear somebody or see somebody doing it, it's. I think everybody's instinct is like, is it, are they desperate? What happened? Were they drinking before they decided to be interviewed for this? Or <laughs> mm-hmm, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's certainly, I think, yeah, it does make you look bad. Takes you down a notch. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also that's what I'm trying to change on this podcast. You kind of, we're going to get the dirt out of you. Yep. <laughs> just, just kidding. Well, I, I, I think, I think Yelp is a is a good barometer. Very of public criticism. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been really fascinated by Yelp stuff lately. Yep. There's like everybody talks about how chefs and restaurants hate Yelp, but uh, I, f- I feel like there are serial Yelpers that have some type of weird thing going on that I want to dig into it. Yeah, we we had this conversation, and I was saying how now I'll, I'll go a little bit farther because I'll, I'll casually look at Yelp reviews, but. Now, when I get one that seems really nasty or, or <coughs> overly gushing or just strange, I'll start to click now on the person's profile and mm-hmm. look at their other Yelp reviews, and that can be almost like a wormhole of just read. You can be lost for half an hour reading people's crazy Yelp review profiles when it's like there was one I saw <laughs> who was giving you know a random decent restaurant. I was thinking about going to gave it a pretty bad review. I clicked on their account, and they had like, over 100 different reviews of Starbucks that they had gone to, every single Starbucks in different states and all over California, and follow-up reviews about those Starbucks, as in somehow Starbucks needs a Yelp review? <laughs> well, I was all, like, wow. They're all very different, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's fascinating what people and I want. I Yelp. want to find that person. Yeah. And I want to Sharon them. H in Irvine. We're coming for you, Sharon H <laughs> in Irvine. But like, I want to know what is going on in their life and in their world. I, I can't imagine because it has to be something like. And usually, those people are good to interview because if they're seeking attention so much, then they really want to. They really want to talk. Well, they also I've noticed that there's a there's a, a similar same thread going through a lot of them where they'll use terms like fellow Yelpers. Mm. Like I mean, I don't think I think ninety nine percent of the people don't look at Yelp as a community, <laughs> and I think that the serial Yelpers probably find some kind of social interaction with their. But people with, really do their use kind. Yelp as a community, man. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's, it's have, kind of an extension of like social media and, and, and yeah, yeah. the fact that we communicate like via text message and definitely. You know, I mean, I obviously, I, you know, as a business owner, I'd I'd rather they come to me and you know and and. You know, let me know like how their how the service was and whether right. or not they enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, versus hearing it, you know, seeing it posted, and then having interaction on Yelp. You know, yeah. like they expect us to like <laughs> comment on it. And I, I think that's what they're also fishing for. They're probably looking for that kind of the, those uh, behind the internet doors mm-hmm. interactions with people. You know, where they don't actually have to talk to them face to face or listen to reason in any way. They can just on their interwebs yeah <laughs> I've, I've wanted to use Yelp before to attempt to take a restaurant down that I feel like was really upsetting to me for whatever reason but and it's not something that you can really do in person 
you can't just be like, you really just charge me twenty dollars for this, right? Like, that sucks. And they're just going to be like, sorry, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like you, you want to, you want to like broadcast it. Like I know, I understand where they're coming from. Like you want to broadcast it to everybody. Like this was so shitty that I don't want anyone to go here ever. I want this business to fail. They don't deserve to have a restaurant because it's so stupid. But I think especially in the restaurant business and restaurants that serve alcohol, some of the meanest <laughs> reviews are coming from people being like, Dave, you are taking me straight home and I'm going to write a review about this place. <laughs> like Sharon A. from Irvine, I think you've had too many apple tartinis tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if, if your husband or wife says, you have to take me home because I need to go write a Yelp review. Don't let them write that review. A... You gotta hit the road running. <laughs> B, you're definitely not getting laid that night. <laughs> no, no. That, you picked I mean, the wrong rough. restaurant player. That is rough. I mean, well, you were you were mentioning you'd rather have customers come up and tell you how often does that happen to you? <laughs> I feel like it doesn't really happen exactly. that much for you as a coffee place compared to. Well, you I mean you serve too good a coffee to get complaints. <laughs> would be my my well, response. Well, there's that. There's one that you have an excellent product but there's two where it's like there's not much to really go wrong yeah you you stand in That's line true. you give somebody a five dollar bill and they hand you whatever coffee you ordered and you drink it and that's about it there's no yeah like the, the, the only thing we get back is like the, you know the milk's not too hot the latte is not hot enough so okay fortunate for us so is that the main complaint that you've seen not hot enough generally when drinks get sent back it's not, not and that's is that how you can tell if somebody is uh, an in in the know coffee drinker or not? <laughs> <laughs> I guess everyone has an opi- their own opinion about coffee. Yeah, I, I think you know the folks that usually get it super hot. They're usually adding sugar, so mm-hmm. you know it makes makes sense. A certain degree. So then they have a, a moot point to begin with, huh? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm asking you all these questions, and you're you're just like. <laughs> there's there's no white hazelnut, white chocolate sprinkle <laughs> canister, no nope. sugar. Why why isn't that there? Not not yet. Where's my macadamia white white chocolate sugar sifter? Let let's let's talk about your beginning where you went from. So before you're doing this, you're an you were in the architectural world, designing other coffee shops, businesses, homes, all yeah, kinds of stuff? a little, little bit of everything. A little um, bit of everything. Mo- mostly uh, commercial projects, hospitality. Okay, and you still do that as well, a bit? Yeah, you know, like, I, can, I can be a little more uh, selective about the project. When the, when, the nice. bat, when the bat phone rings, That's you, right. you don't have to always pick it up? Okay, but you will for me <laughs> in my future endeavors. Maybe. <laughs> well... What did it take for you to go from zero to your first little kind of coffee coffee window or coffee cart, like money-wise? How much did you have to invest initially to get it going? Yeah, you know, um, besides the equipment, it was really just, you know, building building uh, the cart myself. <laughs> um, well, what about equipment-wise? Yeah, equipment. Um, start started small, you know, single group commercial uh, unit. Um, you know, you find one on Craigslist, probably for like a thousand bucks. 
and then grinder. Um, so they spend a little bit more on that. Thousand bucks for the espresso machine, right? For like a little mini guy, and then a grinder. How much? Grinder, I spent a little bit more. It's like fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Okay. So maybe like all in all to get it going, a few thousand. Yeah, pro- probably about three. I would say like three thousand. And, yeah. and when you first started, were you? Did you go through all of the business? paperwork and officially register as an official business or were you kind of yeah you know working I, under the table a little I, bit? I, I basically uh, just got a business license um but you know knowing very little about, about the navigating through the health department yeah um mm-hmm. so famously complicated in los angeles right yeah i mean that, that's why you know it, it started as a pop-up and in another in existing, it made sense an existing exactly mm-hmm. permitted shop and, and, yeah, and I just want I just want to learn from you how easy it is for somebody who's listening who might have an idea similar to this, like what it would actually take to get going exactly. So like to get your business license and to get on the books being legally allowed to sell a food or drink in California, what how how long did that take and how much money does that take? Well, the uh, I mean the sh- the shop in Culver City. I went through that process, and mm-hmm. you know it's cons- considerably more money. Okay. Um, but like how, like, how much do you think ballpark? You know, it's, <laughs> I don't want to be uncomfortable, but I mean, you don't have to say exactly. But it's not like you know, it's the same for every business, you know. Yeah, I, I think uh, depending on the space, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. we 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 got we got into a vanilla shell, so. Um, what does that mean? Slightly better setup. You know, the the lighting was already there, and the, the mechanical unit was already there. So really, you know, our, our money was spent on uh, electrical, plumbing, and then you know a lot of finish work. Mm-hmm. Um, Vanilla shell. I've never heard that before. It's a good term. That's a very good term. Okay. So, but for I'm talking about more for the for when you had the cart. That was that relatively easy to get the business license and everything going for that. Yeah, I mean the the, the license, you know, you just file online, and I, I think the challenge um, really was to think about a, a different avenue for for a coffee experience, mm-hmm. and then, you know that's 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 where that kind of pop up idea came came about. Um, you know, I, I think L.A. is like very prolific for. Gorilla style food, food establishments, yeah. you know, and, and and those are like all great experiences, you know. Was the time far better than going into a restaurant? Mm-hmm. So yeah. in, in a way, you know, that that pop up concept kind of embraced that that street, you know, being on the street level DIY approach. <laughs> so you're being on the street level, but not a not like the hot dog cart, real gorilla food sales. Yeah, you know, we we we, tr- we tried a few of those, and it, it was a little awkward. You know, we we brought like a little butane, and we heated our water. We we, we hooked up a, our 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 grinder, hand grinder, to like a cordless drill, and really, you know, it's it, yeah. People, I think Where people did were a little you freaked set this out. Up? Was this on like a TV show, Survivor style <laughs> coffee challenge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we you know we, we we tried it on Culver City, just like on, on the streets. You know, uh-huh. we, we we were like kind of a little nervous, so we were like kind of set back from the sidewalk, the okay. parking lot, and, and like nobody would approach us. And then then they were like, "Oh, screw this! We're just gonna, you know, get right in front of their face and do a little role playing." 
Did you ever? And and you never had any issues, really? No handcuffs. Yeah. What about the <laughs> yeah. popo? Johnny Law show up. Siren off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, you know what? Yeah, we 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 that day we we got approached by um, one of the gallery owners, telling us that it was illegal what we were doing, and and you hey, said man, you're. She didn't drink coffee. Yeah, nothing <laughs> goes better with a gallery experience than a fine macchiato. I say, right. <laughs> you're not you're not slinging drugs. I guess it is drugs. Drugs, yeah. How much coffee do you drink on a daily basis? I I, I don't drink that much anymore. Mm-hmm. So my my days off, definitely shy away from it. Mm-hmm. Tea? Are you a water. tea man? Not, I don't drink much tea right now. <laughs> Mostly water, H2O. You just drink a lot of water? Mm. Stay hydrated. Yeah, I guess I, I, that makes sense. Keep that inflammation down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. I, I feel inflamed. I would say um, I broke my, my no coffee after six o'clock rule and i'm feeling it right now is you, your six o'clock is your cutoff daddy's flying like five six like and that's usually the latest and we had had an excellent cortado from scoops yeah i usually jam tonight I, and because i was dragging and i was excited so but it's going to be fun tonight trying to close those out of it <laughs> well you go to sleep very early i do go to sleep very early. yeah I, I try not to drink coffee that that late either because yeah I can't. I gotta start hitting the Nyquil if I'm trying to go down. The Tylenol pims. Snort a couple of Benadryls. <laughs> put me down. Chop those bennies up. <laughs> so, other than coffee, what what what's next on the horizon for you? Are you trying Probably. to? Are you going to open up any more coffee locations in LA? Is it all I'm top secret? Definitely, definitely very curious about roasting. Oh, okay. Uh, I think okay. That's like the next. Uh, Next area of education. Uh-huh. I think for have you done any roasting already yourself? Yeah, I have, I have a little um, hot top it's Taiwanese uh, small roaster. Mm-hmm. Been playing around with. Is it easy to roast or is it hard to roast? It's extremely complicated. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is that like that's definitely the toughest part of it all? You think? No, I, I think uh, no. I think you know from sourcing the beans to mm-hmm. I mean the whole chain is. And if you if you end up being able to roast your own beans, do you then essentially make more money if you do it all yourself? Like if you're able. I mean, to that's yeah. I I think in an ideal scenario, but I'm not. I, I'm sure mm-hmm. it's going to be you know equally as challenging as as starting really starting a new shop. You know, mm-hmm. I look at it as really a different different business. What what is the motivation behind wanting to roast your own beans then, if it's not necessarily saving money or making more money? Is it because you want to be able to control the roast specifically? It's you know it's it's really uh you know, just getting more knowledge about coffee, and I feel like we've done every. You know, we've we've kind of experimented and played around with with, with brewing mm-hmm. as much as we could, and and you know the fact that we work with a lot of different uh, roasters in our shops. You know, we we're fortunate to be able to taste different roast styles, and and for me that that's all that's all a big you know unknown. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that that would be a great. Uh, that's the last piece of, of the coffee puzzle. Yeah, to put curating a, yeah. a complete coffee experience mm, from absolutely. roast to delivery. Yeah, and potentially getting to like sourcing and. Yep. So one one of the first times you and I hung out, 
was when you would do coffee cuppings at the at the original location. You remember that? Yeah. Coffee cupping yeah. is really hard, but I feel like I'm they- better. I'm better at cupping than with wine tasting. I've noticed because mm-hmm. we were talking last week about wine tasting and how we're both not very good at it. Yeah. Even though we consider ourselves to have a good food palate. Pretty decent. The wine palette, not so much. But I feel like coffee, I'm able to pick up more on of it. How, how are you with wine? Um, don't know much about wine. <laughs> no? So, same, same thing. Uh, are you, do you think you're a good coffee, coffee cupper? Not sure. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't really competed, so it's hard to kind of measure. Do they have competitions for it? Yeah. So yeah. how do you win a coffee cupping competition? Like, it's yeah, it's basically uh, just a tri- triangulation, blind blind tasting. So then you have to like con- correctly identify what bean and where it's from, or you or you're trying to identify the elements and flavors inside of it. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything. So the idea is to blindly guess exactly which bean you're tasting. Yeah, you 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 know you're 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 looking at. Uh, um, you know, acidity, mouthfeel. Um, but how do you, like, grade all of those attributes? Is there, like, a scale? Well, there, there, there's obviously, um, you know, the, the regulating uh, coffee uh, organization called SEAA, and they, uh, you know, they have standards. So there's, there's uh, different criterias. Mm-hmm. Like body flavor. for the for the and also probably criteria for the bean to be judged too. So there's a a baseline of quality of bean that they're probably <laughs> submitting for competition. Is my guess right? Uh, yeah. Well, there, there's there's the green bean which is uh, which is graded, mm-hmm. and then and then there's like the brewer's cup which they have now, right? And that's you know whole kind of performance. Because if you if, when you see like a sommelier blind taste wine it's pretty phenomenal mm-hmm. that they can be telling you even you know the the baby steps i think are telling you what region but really the 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 really high caliber sommeliers will tell you vintage too they will be able to tell you year mm-hmm. which is pretty phenomenal i was talking with my friend uh Christi- christina O in in new york and about sommeliers and how it really is such a bizarre job to have or a bizarre credential to uh, to strive for because you really you have to work you know as hard as you know becoming a brain surgeon or like any like any crazy job position you could imagine you have to put in the same amount of work for this, for a long period of time every time you take this test you have to pay like thousands of dollars yeah. to enter it every year out of your own money. And there's there's that documentary. Yeah, there's documentary. documentary. Yeah, yeah. See, that's where a lot of the knowledge of what I'm speaking of comes from. And, a one and a half hour movie on Netflix. Yeah, I would not say I'm an expert, <laughs> but, but, but that says but a lot. It's showing it's showing the. Um, I mean, my expert on sommelier and mm-hmm. their, their tasting and their qualifications for ratings. But, it, but it's it's there's, there. I feel like there's amazing. some weird, you know, like you're just doing it for you're devoting your life just for like bragging rights almost right. because once you finally get this certification 
that doesn't mean anything. Like when when you finally get your medical degree, you can go to a hospital and be a doctor. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like these guys they're or getting you get, they're you, getting a lot of work. When you graduate from Harvard Law, you you know. Yes. You probably have a pretty good shot at getting a nice career. There's a clear trajectory for success in your field with a degree from Harvard. But it also seems like these wine people, me not being in the industry, uh, it definitely seems that their ability to be hired goes kind of through the roof and they're even kind of mm-hmm. catered to and, and you know approach themselves cold call style yeah. to come work for different restaurants and groups and companies. And- yeah, but I feel like even when you do complete that and get offered a job from a restaurant that has enough money and prestige to hire a salaried person to just be a sommelier like how much money can you really make like what is your annual salary really going to be like are you going to make more money than the executive chef right probably not it's i think or i think it's in the six figures yeah i mean that's probably you know less than 200 master right Certified, but even, but like that's just if you hit that level. Like there's a lot yeah. of some like a sommelier of like a good or mid-sized restaurant. Like how much money are they really making for this very fine-tuned skill that they've devoted their whole life for? Like they you know they could be making fifty grand a year. Love what you do. You'll never work a day <laughs> in your life, my friend. Just, just feed. no. I mean it's a it's a it, it's a somewhat of a good point, but it's a passion to the extent yeah. where you know. They drive themselves crazy, it seems, getting ready for this test and what's involved. And it seems to be kind of arbitrary, the judging. But it's mm-hmm. also it, it's a drive that you can see in these people that couldn't be removed with chains. Like, that's that's their life goal. And, you know, 100, 150 grand, 75 grand, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, it's, that's not a terrible wage. It's no, that's not, good. It's not Malibu money, but, I mean, if they're doing <laughs> what they absolutely love, I think that's... You know, and and also, I think the money comes in, and you know, potentially moving into your, you know, your own vintage, mm-hmm. your own wine. Winery is a bit huge of a scale, but like you know, you're getting into working with vineyards, and uh, you know, you're just yeah. We're gonna we're gonna have some wine, some sommeliers guest on this show soon yes. when we we can ask them about it, as opposed to speculating from watching <laughs> a documentary for an hour. And as half opposed to Ekai saying, I don't know much about wine, and you <laughs> yeah, saying like, I saw Netflix I saw one time, and then I'm like, I know a few good 399s at Trader Joe's that you can. Uh, I can recommend. I'm pretty sure that this is going to be called the Stew the Wine episode. I think <laughs> is the way that we should. No, it's not. It's not. No, but th- this all this conversation started because we started talking about uh, coffee cupping mm-hmm. and competition, and I'm assuming that's you know somebody cupping the coffee is is telling you what region in the world it's from, and you know when you're doing blind tasting, I think that's probably what mm-hmm. they're doing. They're describing the qualities very accurately and. Getting a little molasses. And those qualities will lead you to probably a very specific place in the world, you know, in a country, in a town, mm-hmm. on a mountain, you know, like this is where that coffee is. Um, I've, I've always, like, I've, there's always like a list of things in the world that I feel like no matter what will always have a demand for, like coffee or marijuana or... Too many jokes coming in. <laughs> but like there's a lot of products out there that... Or things that you feel like will never go out, not out of style, but just there'll always be a demand for it. Like gasoline could be replaced by alternative energy soon. 
mm-hmm. but I feel like people are always going to want to drink coffee and always going to want to smoke marijuana and they're always going to want to have whatever it is you know cheese is maybe never going to go out of style or whatever it might be cheese will never go out of style <laughs> do you do you think that there is ever a chance that coffee for whatever reason will stop being the most consumed beverage in the world or whatever it is Pro- probably not in my lifetime if it, if it did happen why do you think that would be Destruction of the Amazonian rainforest? Yeah, you know. Alien invasion? <laughs> Cubs win? Plant, coffee, coffee diseases, you know. Coffee wipe, diseases? Out, you know, farms in Colombia and Brazil. And Let's those. not make it a racial thing, Ikai. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do coffee, do coffee, coffees will get diseases? Sure. Fungus? Yeah. Fungus growing on. What do you do? Yeah. So you just... Coffee rust. And that can just ruin your whole crop? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it basically um, prevents uh, flowering of the plant and then it can't produce I'm, 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 I'd like to imagine some type of like water world, Mad Max, <laughs> post-apocalyptic scenario where, oh, like, co- keep going. where like coffee becomes right. you know, as, as valuable as gold or whatever, you know? Like back in the spice trade days where so when Starbucks starts its own original programming on their new network it's going to start with a water world meets Mad Max where coffee is the only known currency yeah yeah like, I'm listening like when you see you know when you see I just I, I'm just I always try to think of these these things that are never going to go out of demand but like if it did happen what would be the reason like is there a chance that tea could just usurp coffee and become so amazing that coffee is out. Well, you know, in, in China they're uh, they're getting rid of tea uh, tea farms for coffee. Really? Oh wow! So. Oh shit! Well, this table's turning. I gotta call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, your mom is super into tea. She is a huge tea drinker. Yeah. Yeah, we should talk about tea for a little bit. I feel like you know some. Yeah, his his mom is very into the high the high grade. Top shelf Chinese green teas. Yes, just the tops. Just the <laughs> no, no. She she really is very into green tea. Um, How's your green tea palate for that? I mean, it's it's not because I'm not a huge green tea fan, and even some. It's I think it's like food, where when you don't know any kind of a, a cultural food. You taste something and it's it's intricacies and uh, it can be lost on somebody who's never tried something before. Mm-hmm. So my and the tea my mom gets she she mostly orders it from a place called the Imperial Tea Court in San Francisco. Okay, and they'll go into it like you would imagine any really high end business and trade. They will tell you the region where it came from, you know how it was grown in the shade or the sun, and this is like this is the crop for this year or this season. I mean, you're it's like it's, it's this one. It's very cannabis specific. cup 2015. Exactly, you got some good purples on there. <laughs> so she'll get a lot of jasmines and oolongs, and then some other ones that I can't remember or pronounce. And uh, and she gets really excited, you know. There's she and she takes tea leaves, and you know they're all they're all whole leaf. She'll steep them and, and steep the same leaves over the course of the day. So she, you know, like 
depending on the time of day, she'll want a first brew of the tea, and then later in the afternoon, it's like the third brewing of these leaves. You taking notes, Ekai? No, but it's like, you know, she... <laughs> no, this is fascinating stuff. She is, she's, very, she's very into it, but she's been into it for a long time. My mom uh, is an acupuncturist, licensed, and had a practice in Hawaii for years. And, um, and so, I mean, I think part of that, there's a lot of medicinal benefits in in traditional Chinese medicine mm-hmm. tied in with different kinds of teas. So the the part that I th- find very interesting is exactly how much that she buys it the, from a dreadlock Jamaican this green <laughs> <laughs> this high level green tea yes of the utmost quality the yeah. the Ciroc of green tea if you will For ultra sure. ultra premium tea yeah the 99 bananas of green tea <laughs> what do you think this what do you? What does it go for? What I won't. You, I won't ask, or I don't want to look because I don't want to be embarrassed for her. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's priced out by grams. Yeah, it's definitely by grams, and shit's expensive. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't give think a little. Just give our listeners a little ballpark. I don't know. I, I bet. You, I guarantee you guys could go. I'm sure to the Imperial Tea Court, and they've got. They probably have a website with their prices. Um, but but tea that is more expensive than marijuana by the. That I, I mean, that I would be surprised by, but I, you know, I, I'm sure I would, it's out there. I would hope not. I'm sure there's things. Oh, I'm sure you can find any product priced so expensively that it would blow your mind mm-hmm. in some ways. But I, I mean, I think this is high end, but not something that like Saudi oil sheiks are using as gifts to other people. <laughs> not even meant to be steeped in <clears throat> You know, it's like this single leaf costs four hundred mm-hmm. million dollars. Like, but, a, like a saffron situation. But yeah, I mean, I, tea also. You know, by weight is you know it's it's even right. less dense I think than marijuana. Too, so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's less than dense now. All right. So I, I think in that regard, it, it weighs very, a lot less mm-hmm. too by amount. So you'd be surprised, you know, in some ways. A gram of tea goes a not not. It's, yeah. it's impressive. Well, I think the the appropriate ratio for black tea is I think it's three grams per cup of water. Really? Yeah. So, because I weigh out, when I make, I have some nice black teas uh, that my girlfriend drinks, and special occasion black teas. <laughs> so I, I get the coffee scale out and weigh it. Valentine's I Day? I think it's like three grams per cup of 12 ounces of water is brewing ratio Which, for Okay, then it's, so it's, it's not probably like, not marijuana yeah, prices. it's not like marijuana prices per Because that's per like an eighth, bro. <laughs> shit, is, that's just going down to two. I can get it for 40 if you if you need me. <laughs> uh, you know, as long as the crop's in. Mm-hmm. I'll be around all weekend. Just page me. Um, Ikai, what kind of foods are you into? Asian food. Asian food? <laughs> um, ramen right now. Yeah. Okay. On a ramen about the ramen thing, yeah. So you're on a ramen bender. Ramen noodles. And you, so you, you're a Chinese. Mm-hmm. Are you a Chinese food fan? Love Chinese food, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just had some Chinese food last night. Salt, salted, salt, salted pork chop, fried pork chop. Mm-hmm. Sure. Woo! Where uh, from? It was just all. It was Did like, you make it? No, it was in Chinatown, the new seafood, seafood something something place. Uh-huh. Some like little hole in the wall place that had a lot of Yelps. Oh, okay. But it was just like fried cartilage chunks with with s- salty powder. Deliciousness. It was very good. It's texture. So ramen, you've have you sampled ramen in Japan? I have, yeah. Been to the ramen museum in Yokohama. Whoa! Did my 
What is that experience? What, what happens in the ramen museum? Yeah. It's it's kind of like a Disneyland, as you would imagine. <laughs> is it really? Indoor. Are there ramen rides? A few stories. You just go on, on, on the ride of the ramen bra. Did you buy the audio tour for the ramen museum? <laughs> Do they have an audio? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, it's it's all it's all um, like vending machine ah. based. You know, the, to buy your uh, like the menu is on a vending machine. You purchase your ticket, and then when you go into the ramen shop, you hand them your ticket and wow, select your Just give you a bowl. And your your is your favorite ramen the the sukemen? Maybe uh, here here in LA, yeah, this the Sajita Annex is mm-hmm. my favorite right now. Have you had that one, Andre? That's the one. That's the that's the next the trip spicy. on the list. Oh, you haven't been there? No. Woo-hoo-hoo. It's a drive. It's a drive for me. I don't like going past Western. <laughs> it's a drive for me too. But yeah. I've been there a couple times. It's no, I know. I know. It's certainly so good. Everyone I know has tried it. It's one of those destination places that is well worth. A little for our listeners at home, that's the that's the type of ramen where the noodles are in a separate bowl, and it's only served at lunch, I believe. Is that right? Usually, oh, they're, they're doing dinner now. They, for a while, it was lunch. It was a lunch-only item, I thought. Yeah, yeah. At at the uh, original Sajida. But it's like a it's a uh, dish where it's a dipping ramen where you a dipping ramen where the broth and all the other non-noodle ingredients are condensed into a thicker reduction, and then you dip the noodles in there and, and slurp it, so you can then enjoy ramen maybe on a hot afternoon where you don't want a steaming bowl of broth. And you can, it's not cold, but it's not super hot. No. And that yeah. packs such a crazy flavor, man. It's so concentrated and just, oof, but it really, it does lay you out. And so what's the mouth feel like? Is it like a, is it lighter than a gravy? Is it like a gravy? Is it? It's kind of, it's gravy. Yeah, it's gravy-ish. It might be a sure. little thicker. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 definitely gravy-ish. Yeah. I don't even know how they make it. The, the, the noodles tend to be a little thicker and a little mm-hmm. more chewier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A more texture. We should try making that. Definitely. I have no idea how to. I guess we should. I've got nothing to do for the next four days <laughs> we need to, to boil <laughs> that stock down. <laughs> <laughs> we need to work on regular ramen first. Let's do that, too. Picked a bad time, though. It's, really, it's getting hot. <laughs> it's, it's getting way too hot. For our <laughs> listeners in the East Coast, that means temperatures above 10 degrees. Yeah, it just snowed in New York today. Sorry, guys. Uh. <laughs> and I was just there last week. What was it like when you were there last week? It was, a, it was the first day that it was like super hot for them. Like Everyone was wearing shorts and walking around. <laughs> right. Like Everyone on the subway was, it was freezing. I was wearing a parka, and it was like in the 40s. Yeah. You know, maybe like low 50s. Flip-flop New York weather. Yeah, and I walked like a mile and a half in Manhattan, and I had to like take turns moving my hands out of the pocket to hold my <laughs> my drink. Like it would be like water bottle in my left hand, right hand in the pocket, and then every 30 seconds I'd have to switch and put that hand in the pocket. Hood fully up and all that stuff, and there's just dudes walking around with shorts and a T-shirt. Just like... Can you believe the weather? It's amazing. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. Everyone's like, you got here, and like, there's still black ice on the sidewalk. Meanwhile, you're just dumping hot bone broth on top of your head every <laughs> block, trying to stay warm. It was rough, man. But I mean, it was also amazing and beautiful. Yeah. But uh, I got to eat at this restaurant called Little Park, where Dan's sister works. And That's that, right. The thing I was noticing in New York is the the customer service in the front of house... In New York, I feel like is 
taken so much more seriously than oh. other places. Yes. Well, I mean, I feel like any place potentially beats L.A. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and I don't mean as a total <laughs> dig, but I think it's like it's taking very casual. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's got something else on their mind. Yeah, obviously there are a lot of places in L.A. that have excellent customer service. For sure. And hospitality, but in New York, it's like people, I guess they don't, they just don't overlook it and they take it as serious as the food. And it's so nice. As many people hoping for a callback in New York as there are potentially. Mm -hmm. And and, and, uh, that's a joke, but it's like the culture is so tangibly different in LA. And I think it certainly extends to, especially front of house service, when you're talking about, you know, like. Yeah, I think LA. There's plenty of fine dining in LA that's outstanding, but I think in general, <laughs> even your like mid-level price range restaurant, you can be you, you're not expecting something impressive. Whereas, yeah. like it, you know, there's a higher standard of service. It's a, we've been going to all these restaurants lately, and the the front of house needs to catch up with the back of house. No. Like all these restaurants have good food, or sometimes great food, and they're service is just so much of a bummer that it makes you not want to go back and eat that food again. And that is the sound of a hundred front of house listeners unsubscribing. (laughs) (laughs) We're not naming any names, but also... Definitely no names to be named. But there, I mean, if you're the kind of server who would be listening to a food podcast, you're not the problem. Right. If you're the kind of server who doesn't know that food podcasts exist right. and you like memorize the sentence about each item on the menu that you rehearse when somebody asks you a question about it, like, how's the uh, oxtail ravioli? It's really good. It's like really rich and there's like a really great meaty flavor on it. And then like, that's all you got. You're not listening to this and you're a part of the problem. No, that's not going to help too much. Dick's Last Resort, I'm giving you two more chances and I'm not going back. <laughs> Dick's Last Resort. But we, like, where did, we went to Union. <laughs> Union in Pasadena. It's like a pasta place yep. that a lot of people are buzzing about. Jonathan Gold reviewed it. The guy, the, the, the guy is on a restaurant show or something like that. He's like a popular chef. And the food was good. Mm-hmm. You know, I was not mad at the food. It was pretty good. And then the service was just like a bummer. I thought we weren't naming names. I mean, I don't. I like to name names every once uh, in a while. Once in a while, we'll do it. It, not, it was. It was. It was a bummer, and <laughs> I only feel comfortable saying this because the two tables around us were we all got started on conversations, like kind of looking at each other a little bit during service, and then like. Did you guys get your? They're like, no, I didn't get it. How long have you been here? We were here twenty minutes before you guys. Like, and like all this, and so it was like when front of house service is so bad that it's bringing tables together in mm-hmm. a communal like interaction and discussion. That's not just us being like that was lame. Yeah, I, I think I've learned that there's a difference between saying you you suck versus you upset me. Yes, like. That's constructive. Right. I'm not saying it sucked, but I'm saying it was it was disappointing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, so if you're listening, you can like if I was the chef of that restaurant and I heard that, I would be bummed out because like you're putting so much work into your restaurant. It's your life's work. You've spent all of your money investing in it. You've worked blood, sweat, and tears to get this your dream up and running. 
and then you hire just somebody that doesn't care to be the first person you talk to when you walk in. And yeah. The, and the people serving you just don't care, and they don't know how to talk to people, and it's like, oh, why you, is it, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Why isn't Chris here for this to also follow up here with Ekai <laughs> as a small business owner? Because that's, that's a huge concern, I'm assuming. Yeah, as somebody, I mean, yeah, as you, as a business owner, is, yeah. at a certain point, do you just have to let go and not... And just know that some, you know, you have to let your employees do what they're going to do and have faith in them. Yeah, I, I think I think you know, like they're they're still fairly new, so they're going, you know, it's, yeah, it's a growing true. pain right now. Mm-hmm. But, you yeah. know, I've, I, I've been there a few times, and I've sat at the bar, and you know, my experience has been on the contrary. Okay, you know, but I think I think you know maybe. Yeah, and, and you know, training is important. And you know, when you said that, you sat at the bar. That was interesting because there were people who were waiting in line to get in behind us who went and sat at the bar, and their food, and they were like smiling and happy and having a good yeah. time, and their food came out before ours came out. Yeah, and they were, and the the bartender there was like talking to everybody and Little engaging stick. them. Smiles all around. Yeah, yeah, and then we had like the frat bro guy who just didn't know anything about food kind of thing <laughs> it really it really was that kind but of it's experience. also that's just Not how that's just like how the cards lay you know like i could be just a, a random person who doesn't like he has no idea that i really am caring about this food and like it's i'm looking forward to it and i want to enjoy the whole experience and i'm not just like a random it's just how the meatball rolls dumb, just how the meatball rolls <laughs> And you have to be prepared for all of that. Yeah. Like, I, you know, Jonathan, I, we, we could have been with Jonathan Gold at our table and our server would not have known. And he would just be he may, yeah, peeing he may, all over him. He, that, the guy who served us may not have recognized Jonathan Gold, which would have been a bad look for Union. But yeah, it's one that, that is a possibility. So next time, Union, sit at the bar. Yeah. But well, yeah, you know, pasta was good. That's, that's what yelled. Yeah, that's what yelled. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> You should have yelped it. No, I can't get that dark. I know people who have Yelp accounts that they use just, but for positive things, but secret Yelp accounts. Yeah, like they'll they'll have a secret Yelp account just to use that as their database of restaurants, so they don't forget. Like Whoa. all the. Pro, oh, like the, pro tip yelping. Start a new account just to remember your faves. Yeah, like uh, a friend of mine is really who That's I'm bizarre. planning on having on the show who's like a really super sushi aficionado mm-hmm. in LA. He's been to Japan like a zillion times, eaten at like hundreds of sushi restaurants there, and knows like all the. And like the underground sushi world in LA is a very like kind of. It's a, a tight knit community, and he keeps. Trying to with, mess with that whale meat, dog. It's gonna get <laughs> you in get trouble. A, I want the puffer fish. I want the whale meat. I saw that Simpsons. <laughs> but like, that's that's how he knows everybody. Yeah. And he said, you know, he'll he'll he's like, have you been to this place, this place, this place? And he'll name ten sushi restaurants, like all omakase, mm-hmm. no menu, yep. no anything. And I'm I'm like I nothing have, legal. Yeah, and I'm like nothing not endangered. I'm in LA. I consider myself a food enthusiast. I love sushi. I like I check the blogs and every yeah. single restaurant he named, I'm like, "What are nope, you talking about? Nope, I've never nope. heard of it. I have no idea what you're talking about." And he's like, "You know, you it's like a $300 dinner and you it's like all ah. super serious, all business, like 
best meal of your life status, and yeah. he said you walk in there and it's only pros, and he knows half the people in there because these are people that are so addicted to high grade sushi that whenever they go out to eat, that's all they do. Like they they, they work their job and they eat sushi. S- save their money. You know, they eat peanut butter and jelly for lunch or whatever, and then the sommeliers. <laughs> yeah, you, there, there's people who can be addicted to high grade sushi, and that, that that's just all you do. Like you love it so much that you could never imagine not having an. You know, it's it's like a drug. Oh, it's like heroin. He has to come on the pod. <coughs> he's going to. I, I think got, he's going to do I it next week. But like, I love sushi, and I like dynamite roll. <laughs> uh, a crunchy dynamite roll. Yeah, crunchy. I like I like all kinds of sushi. Volcanoes. Yeah. Crunchy like, I rainbow will, roll. I will eat regular sushi, mm-hmm. and I will eat mid level. I will eat good sushi. I will eat excellent sushi. I haven't. I've only had one or two like hyper top shelf sushi meals that are amazing. Yeah. But I can't. I can't do that all the time. I can't afford to eat that regularly. It's just me neither. It's crazy, but it really it really does seem like a drug kind of thing. Like there's people where like once you get a taste of that of that sweet sweet chiva, yeah. Once you once you ride the I'm dragon for the first Jane. time, yeah. Everything else, what's the point? So instead of you know instead of eating California rolls seven days a week, you're gonna save your money for a month just so you can get that that main line. And then that's and then you, then your life is ruined. You're devoting your whole life just to eating this one thing. I'm just imagining, you know, the successful businessman whose life is ruined by expensive sushi, and he's just left to like stealing California rolls out of Whole Foods. <coughs> yes, yeah, s- selling his uh, yeah. selling his wife's clothes yeah. so he can afford one more uh, exactly one more omakase. But what was it? What was the? Um, Kids in the Hall sketch, like the girl drink drunk. <clears throat> girl guy, drink drunk. The guy who gets addicted to like really fancy cocktails with umbrellas. And to, the, to the fishbowl blue, <laughs> blue carousel. <drink. laughs> Same quality. Same quality. Same vibe, blue man. Curacao. Well, that's, that's where I want to. That, that's a good like motivational driving force in life is to get to the point where I can afford to eat omakase sushi whenever I want. Well, And I'll be a happy man. Oh, whenever you want. It was your qualifier for that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the Japanese diet, they've got it figured out. Right. Right? They're all healthy know, we looking. Have, we, have, we have K-Town here. Yeah, K-Town. I mean, is, that's where my think gangster's paradise exists. I'm just talking about the Japanese diet in terms of health. Korean yeah, diet I is mean, not, well, Korean diet's not got, bad. You got to drop those mercury levels, dog. I mean, I'd rather have a little mercury than obesity. Well, that's that's absolutely true. <laughs> Unless you like literally die from mercury poisoning. You do, but like the, I feel like the Korean diet's pretty healthy too. Sure, but it can be. You can go in a dark place. But you were talking about just the quality of Korean food in LA, or are you referring to Koreans also got pretty dialed and healthy? I I I, I would enjoy that omakase equally as any any of the Korean restaurants that I for sure. Go to and yeah. pay a fraction of it. And I can eat that weekly. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I, not have that expectation. Yeah. You know. <laughs> That's true. There's just something about that crazy sushi meal, though. 
Well, that you can't duplicate. It's like on a different level. Well, there's just there's a um, I don't know. This isn't it's stupid. So never mind. No, <laughs> come on. No, there's well, I think for the most part there there's such an intrinsic quality to sushi because, like to me, you never see that kind of quality ingredients or at least everything the meal exists on the most the most base level of ingredients and quality. And, I mean, you can definitely name any excellent restaurant that sources as well as anybody, but at the end of the day, that that dish lives and dies on the most tr- basic elements. And it's, it's like literally trying to hunt down the best black truffle every single morning for service. Mm-hmm. Not just like once in a while we've got a great stock of this or, or this is in season or, you know... But it's every single morning you're trying to be the first in line, paying the most at the fish markets or having the relationships with the fishermen to reserve those fish only for you, a little something on the side for them. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I mean, that exists every single day. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and with the least amount of ingredients. You know, so we're not talking about, you know, five really well-sourced things or... You know, you can cover something with something else in a dish with multiple ingredients. If something's, ah, oh, it's not the best arugula today, but, we'll, you know, we'll hit it with a, this different That's all we got. It's cool. So, I mean, you've got one ingredient, you know, depending on what it is. And that, to <clears> me, is amazing. That's part of the magic. So that's, I mean, and that is why I think on when when the when just, the when this the fish is when it's just a piece of raw fish and it has to be the best. You that's when it's so simple and unmasked is when you can taste all the hard Japanese work that was put into the making ma- that the mastery of the cutting. Yeah, and, you and could you could itself. like taste that magic. You could taste yes. the hard labor and hours and money that were were put into it. And you stop and taste, really taste it. Are we, are we talking about coffee here? Yeah, we're talking about <laughs> coffee. Like that. This, this, that, and that's a great point, too. But the same thing happens with coffee. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. When, I, when you, like sometimes at your coffee shop, you'll be like, yo, we have this one crazy roast bean. Like we have one pound of these beans and we're doing pour-overs for $8 a pour-over just because it's like this rare thing. And you just... You're like, yeah, I would never order an $8 cup of coffee because that's just stupid, but I want to try this really good coffee just Absolutely. to just yeah. as a little treat because you get to experience the best of something for something that you can afford. Like you'll I'll never get to experience the best of a lot of things. I'll never have the best car, I'll never have, you know, what all these crazy things. But I could have maybe the best cup of coffee that's, for yeah. eight dollars, and that's that's what makes that that, that morning cup so great. Such a <coughs> yeah, you know the potential of that morning cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we I think we should be striving to eat or drink the best version of something that we can if it's within our means, just because you deserve it. You know, it gives you a little. It makes you feel special for a day. Well, I, I think I think in the in, in the the food world, I mean that's that's really the challenge to to bring that uh, that once a year experience, but you know to have that every day for your meal. You know where people put as much care into mm-hmm. the ingredients and what they're making for you. And then you get those and customers coming it. back every day. 
Taking all their hard-earned money. <laughs> yeah, that is one good part about selling coffee. You got a fucking customer every day. No, oh, bringing them back. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the wrong business. For not for long. Not for long. <laughs> I'm taking over your job. Sorry. <laughs> um, all right, Ikai. Well, thank you so much for doing this pod. Thank you. I appreciate very much you coming on. Um, people can check out your coffee shop. What's what's your website? Or do you have a website? I do, yes. It's uh, <laughs> popupcoffee. Popupcoffee.com? Yep. Okay. That's a nice little URL. Yeah, it's perfect. Check I'll us buy out. it off you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can follow you on Twitter and Instagram. Is it Cog Coffee? Cog Coffee, yeah. Cog Coffee. Check out all this cool stuff. And if you live in L.A., come by. Cog Cognoscenti in Culver City or Proof in Atwater, which you will probably see me there. I'm usually there at least once a day doing something, running into people that don't like me, which happened today. <laughs> if you're listening. For the next pod. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, Andre Conopara is not anywhere on social media, and you cannot follow him anywhere. No, you can't. If you live in Los Feliz, part of L.A., you can see him walking two dogs every once in a while. Or staring at a Danzig's house from my railing. He lives across the street from Danzig's house, so go find him. That's true. And if you want to follow me, you can find Them Jeans on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. You can go to thestewpodcast.com for all of our episodes. And subscribe on iTunes. Live a nice rating and review if you want to be a friendly person. Just do it. Don't be a, a serial yelper. Just do it. And then uh, we'll have some new episodes very soon with some sushi and some sommeliers on here in the next coming weeks. Yes. So stay tuned. And also, uh, if you don't know, I have another podcast called Tall Tales that you should check out. And uh, that's all. Thanks again, Yukai. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.